0: As we journey to the table, friends, I want to get into the Word for a little bit. I'm going to actually have us turn to a passage or two in the Scriptures that I didn't put on the screen, so I hope you grab a Bible from underneath in front of you because um, you'll get a whole lot more out of it if you've got that in front of you as we move forward. How's Lent? How's Lent? How you doing? We're, we're We're celebrating Lent together as a church. That... For a lot of us, that's sort of new. Not everybody has done Lent in the past. They didn't come from that particular kind of a tradition or didn't really get it or didn't understand it. But we're celebrating Lent. And uh, many of us are fasting during Lent because what we're doing is we are anticipating the, the joy of the resurrection of Christ. And so we allow ourselves to go without something that becomes meaningful, that is significant to us so that it reminds us that what's really most meaningful, what we really need, Is Jesus That Jesus is enough for us. And so it's an interesting discipline to actually go ahead and try to give up something and then go, wow, man, I have so many needs, but it reminds me what I really need. Jesus is you. In my family, somebody in my family gave up sugar. Somebody in my family gave up caffeine. Somebody in my family gave up bread. And none of those people are fun to be around during Lent at all. (laughs) But they're training themselves to... uh, to need Jesus and Jesus alone. I gave up junk food and so I don't understand. I, I, I think it's a pretty, a pretty um, um, successful company, but I don't know how McDonald's is gonna make it without me these 40 days, but they're gonna have to try. So that's, that's happening. And uh, the other thing that I gave up apparently was, I apparently gave up uh, running and cycling and skiing, which are my three favorite things to do Uh, during the winter because my back went out five days before Lent started. And so while I thought I was going to give up junk food, the Lord's like, no, you're going to give up most everything you actually really love. And so it's been a wrestling, uh, because I'm not quite back yet. So I haven't been able to do those things. And people have been praying for me, which I really appreciate. Just keep praying that God would do my heart what he wants to do in my heart during Lent, because apparently he doesn't want to heal my back because I've been asking him. And that hasn't happened yet, although I'm slowly getting better. I kind of think that I'll be up and running Easter Sunday. Like, I think this is a Lent thing that God's doing for me to just go, what do you really need, Jeff? And I'm like, a good snow day. He's like, no, what do you really need, Jeff? And I'm like, a, a cycling trip to Pete's in Petaluma. He's like, no, what do you need? I'm like, I need you. That's what I need. I need you. So keep praying for God doing that in my life, but apparently that's what he wants to do. So we're, we're in Lent. We're, we're, we're leaning into this presence of God presence of God. And we're calling this the pursuit of godliness, our Lenten series, because that's what we're saying. We're going to say, hey, listen, God, we're going to go after this life that you have given us to live. This is our definition of this pursuit of godliness. It's becoming more and more devoted to God and to a transformed life that's more and more the us we were meant to be. We're gonna move more and more toward devotion to God and to this transformed life that's really the us we were made to be. That's what we're gonna pursue during Lent and giving up all this stuff. It's literally just a fun way. It's a spiritually deep and powerful way, but it's kind of a fun way just to remind us, nope, I'm moving toward you, God. You're what I need. You're the one who brings life as it was designed to be brought. And so I remember what Ben said a week or two ago in his sermon, I loved it. He said something like, Uh, pursuit of godliness is not like, hey, we're going to call you guys to try to be harder and harder and harder to be somebody you're not. But we're going to call us to lean into God and allow him to bring the transformation, to bring us into being more and more who we really are, what we were really created to be and to experience. So that's good news. Do you hear it? That's good news, right? Some of you are not so sure because you need caffeine and it's been a month. All right. So um, the verse that we got this from uh, that we're kind of um, um, carrying with us is from uh, 1 Timothy 4. Paul's saying, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. That's not how you live. It's not about sort of um, religion or philosophy or, or, or hearsay. But train yourself to be godly. That's what life's about. Train yourself to be godly. That life that God's designed for us. Train yourself for physical trainings of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. This is that unashamed sort of prosperity thing that God actually does in the scriptures where he's like, listen, I'm going to promise you that you will will find value when you give your life to me. This life and in the life to come. And so we're going to train ourselves toward that. So that's why we call this the pursuit of godliness. We're going to pursue that. We're going to go after it. We're going to train ourselves. Uh, And this morning, I want to take us into the topic of this life, uh, this life of pursuit of God. It's going to be a life that's characterized by calm and peace and rest. This life of godliness is a life that is characterized by calm and peace and rest. The acronym there is CPR, by the way. That might be appropriate for some of us. <laughs> We're going to move toward a life that is deep and rich and anchored and solid and at rest. This is part of how we pursue godliness. That's part of how life's supposed to be lived. And just saying it the way I'm saying it, it, all of us in this room are like, oh, that is so not my life, right? Give me an Amen. That's not our lives. Our lives are not like that. But Jesus says, pursue this. Here's a very powerful passage, uh, text of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. I've got it on the screen. Take a look at it. Jesus said to his disciples, come to me. Come to me. You who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke, it's easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that just who got their money's worth just seeing that text right there? (laughs) Like that's all you needed. This is Jesus' teaching. You calm. this is the life that we're called to as one of calm and peace and rest. Some, for some of you, this might be a surprise and it might be rather new to you because you think, wow, life is so crazy and chaotic. It seems to me that you add religion to it, then it's just a religious version of burden and yoke and non-rest and tiring and striving. That's not what Jesus teaches And so the life that we're going to live with Jesus is going to be one that is characterized not by that, but by his life that he brings, calm, peace, rest. So let's talk about what it doesn't look like and then how we got there. And then let's talk about what it does look like and how we can get there. Okay. What doesn't it look like? Here's what it doesn't look like. Like that, like, like Amanda, you're a professional organizer. Does that closet right there? That photo? How does that make you feel just internally? does that how itchy makes you feel itchy? You know, uh, does it? this closet that i just love that picture this is this is not how life's supposed to be friends this is not how our this is how our life feels but how it's not supposed to to be what is that life that isn't a life of cpr of calm peace and rest what is it about it's frenetic it's frantic it's uptight it's hurried it's harried it's worrisome it's sleepless it's restless it's irritated it's frustrated it's it's impatient, it's hypervigilant, it's disorganized, it's, it's, uh, it's over-promising and under-delivering. It's, wh- what else is it? You know, right? What else is it? Give me some other words. Manic. It's manic, good word. Exhausting, yeah, that's a good word. It's tiring, it's tiring. yeah. <clears throat> Empty, never-ending. Never ending. Yeah, those are all good, right? Shame, and there's shame because you're never like it's always not enough or not good enough. Yeah, what was that? Jealousy. And there's jealousy in it because you you compare your life, which is a, a dumpster fire, to somebody else's, at least they're what they're showing on their social media. No, that's that's what this life doesn't look like, you guys. That's not the life that Jesus is talking about of calm and peace and rest. That's not it. Those things, it's, it doesn't look like this that we're talking about. And you know, you know that experience because that's us at our worst. We know those, all those words. We know what it feels like to live that way because it's you at your worst. It's me at my worst. But the, the opposite of that, godliness, as we said in our definition, is us becoming more and more the us we were meant to be. It's us at our best. The way we've been living is us at our worst, but godliness is us at our best. And Jesus calls us to more, and part of that best is this rest and peace and calm. What does Matthew 11 say about this, the words that it just uses in saying, hey, this is not what life shouldn't be. Weary. Everybody in here is some form of weary. I know it. I mean, there is one in a million people who are like, what? I find life energizing and every day is a gift and an adventure. And we're like, yeah, that's why you have no friends. No one wants to be near you. (laughs) There are moments when we live that way because we're all aligned and it's good. But there's also a weariness in one way or another to our lives. And there's a burden. It's heavy. It's restless, we're assuming from this text because Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest. Down below it says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. The implication is life's not easy, it's too hard. And our burden is too heavy, we're carrying too much. So life as we're experiencing it is weary, burdened, unrested, too hard, and too heavy much of the time. (laughs) And I know, I'm very aware that some of you are here right now going... Why are you pointing that out? Like my only defense against this is to live in some version of denial. What are you doing right now? And so we do, we live in denial. We kind of hope for the weekend or for the, the Chardonnay or for the whatever's gonna take the edge off the difficulty. But I'm here to remind us, that's not life as we were designed to be given. We were, Jesus says, you come to me and got part of godliness is gonna be a life of calm and peace and Rest. Well, where did we get that idea? Where did the kind of life that we're living that's so frantic and so unsettling and so all those words that we use to describe it, where did we get that, friends? And that is worth asking yourself, where did we get that? Why am I living like this? Why does my life feel like that? Because I think it's a little bit of a cop-out to go, well, that's how life is today. No, I don't, Jesus is promising something different. And I don't know that anybody's circumstances even necessarily would have to change, although lots of our circumstances need to change. Your chooser button is broken, and you make some bad choices, people. I know that because I just take inventory of my life. But even if our circumstances can't change, don't change. This life of frenetic and hurried and unpeaceful and unrooted and ungrounded. Like, that's not how we're supposed to live. How did we get that way? It's worth asking the question, why is it like that? And I think at least in part, and some version of this is true, it's because we do not believe or we've forgotten that our Father in heaven knows us and is for us and is real. Our Father is the Lord of my life and he's for me. We've forgotten that. We don't live in that reality every day that, oh no, my God has been, uh, has written my story, is with me in it, and even the things in this broken world that go awry, he's meeting me in it. That's going to be the foundation of our peace and calm and rest kind of life. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6. Turn to that passage in your Bible because I didn't put it up on the screen. I want to walk through and and identify some things that are in this passage. There's sort of some of these these things that we struggle with. uh, It it really kind of gives a, um, uh, it outlines sort of how we get all strung out and then helps us with some truths maybe to remember. So I'd love to have you turn with me. Somebody have a page number in the church Bible? 970. 970. 970? 971. Thank you. Matthew 6 verse 25 and following. Oh man, these verses. And in my Bible, it just has at the top, like it says, do not worry, right? We know we're in the right section. Do not worry. This is Jesus teaching his disciples as part of the Sermon on the Mount. Look, we're gonna, let's look at some of this. You can see some of the things that we get strung out on. And, and, and there's some reminder of some truths here about this. Kind of, this, is, this is about the way in which we end up living. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Then look at that next phrase. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Here's the first principle about what we get strung out about and, uh, and what Jesus is trying to teach, that life is more than this you're like, food, clothes, well, that seems like that's pretty basic, I know. But it, it signifies that idea that we have to take care of ourselves, that we have to provide for ourselves, that we have to present well to the world. That's clothes, food, f- feed ourselves. It really, in essence, is that lie that we're taking care of ourselves, not that our Heavenly Father knows us, sees us, and has taken care of us. And so we fundamentally live on one side of that equation. Of course, you have to go work. Of course, you have to put your hand to your job. Of course, you have to take care of yourself and your children. Of course. But this is this part of the equation where we believe that it's all on us because my heavenly father is not in control of my life. And this text says, life's more than this. Life is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Then he goes on to say, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet what's it say? Your heavenly father feeds them. He takes care of them. So life is more than taking care of yourself. The heavenly father takes care of us. And he goes on to say about those birds, he says, are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is asking us to stop and to pause and to go, wait a minute. Life's more than taking care of ourselves. And if we stop and realize that he takes care of the birds of the air, which by the way, birds birds are nasty and there's 50 billion of them in the world. He says, how much more valuable are you than them? I got you. I'm taking care of you. Your life should be founded, rooted, rested in this truth. I'll take care of you and your value to me is so infinite, of course I'll take care of you. It goes on to say in verse 27, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Come on out. Is that not so true? This is Jesus, the Savior of the world, given us this teaching, so you know it's awesome and it's true, but you know what? You didn't even need to know Jesus. You you know that truth. In fact, it's in every self-help book you've ever read. What does worrying do? It literally does nothing. And so you have, you know, the people who are better at this than me, uh, because I'm kind of a worrier, those people are, they'll they'll go, yeah, like you, what are the statistics? You're like, 99% of the things that people worry about never come to pass, right? Is that true? They say something like that. And it's so true. So you're spending our time and energy, which is not rest and peace and calm, but anxiety and moving and protecting and managing and preparing, right? That's what we do for 99% of things that will never happen, right? My wife can preach that. Then I go, yeah, but that one thing. Are you the one thing person? Yeah, but the one thing. The one, th- I'm, at least I'm going to have a bomb shelter so you can stay outside. You know, whatever. <laughs> whatever the one thing is. But wise people think it through and go, it still is not add an hour to your life, as Jesus said. That one thing's gonna happen, then you gotta deal with it. And so you could worry about it and then deal with it, that's twice the effort. Or you can worry about all the 99 things that never happen, right? Worrying does nothing. And Jesus just says flat out, the life I'm calling you to is one to believe that your heavenly father knows your name, you're more valuable than any of his creatures. And he will take care of you. And so rest. Come to me, Jesus said. Weary, burdened, taking care of yourself too hard, too much, and I'll give you rest. The text goes on. There's even more in there. Oh, by the way, the worrying thing. The worrying thing is so good. The worrying thing is such a good word for us. Because that, you know, that minute, that thing, that place in your life where you realize I'm stressing and I'm worrying. And if you can just interrupt it and go, worrying is doing nothing. And then I can trust in God. Like, okay, God, I'm going to give it to you. Then you're off and running. So interrupt that cycle where the thing that you worry about is keeping you from calm and rest and peace. I'm infamous in our marriage for this story, and I've told you before about it, but we were planning a giant trip six years ago. Uh, it was part of a sabbatical on the very first day we fly to Chicago, and then our connecting flight to Europe, it's going to be a trip of a lifetime. And in Chicago, delayed maintenance issues on the airplane, Right? I mean, day one of my sabbatical, literally nothing I could do about it. Nothing. I couldn't do a thing about it. But instead of releasing that to the Lord, I went to the window and watched the mechanics. (laughs) I mean, I'm a relatively intelligent human being and I couldn't tear myself away from the window and I think I might've actually knocked a few times. I mean, that is the epitome of going, I do not trust you, God. You are screwing up my trip. And my wife was sitting back in those uh, airport chairs watching me pace back and forth. And you know how they go, you know how when they delay your flight by one hour exactly, you know it's baloney. That's just the first of many, right? And of course we missed our connecting flight in Europe and the whole thing took on a whole new character. But this is what the Lord said to me and I could just see it on the face of my wife. So sometimes you have someone in your, health, in your life that's helpful like that. Dude, this is a big trip and it's an adventure and I'm gonna care for your heart and I'm gonna give you what you need. And if you don't let this go and trust me, you'll get none of what I'm offering you. That's what happens when we worry you guys. The Lord goes, dude, you're not going to get what I'm offering. You let this go and you trust in me. Well, the scripture continues on. And why, and why do you worry about your, uh, uh, your clothes? See how the, the, the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Some of you are like, I don't ever worry about clothes. No, no, translate it. Your clothes are, meaning why do you worry about how you're presenting to the world? Why are you worrying about what people think of you? I can tell you that even Solomon and all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Will he not take care of your reputation? Will he not take care of what people think of you? Will he not take care of you? Oh, you have little faith, it says. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. What does a pagan mean? A pagan is one who had no concept of God. They didn't believe in God at all. They were godless people. They didn't have a God in their life. He goes, that's what people who don't know God do. They run after this stuff. What's the implication? You know God. You don't have to do it. And then the next line, for your heavenly father knows what you need. Your Heavenly Father knows your needs already. Your Heavenly Father knows your story. Your Heavenly Father can see where you're at. Your Heavenly Father cares about your life. You're valuable to Him. This is the truths that we reflect on. So seek first, verse 33. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. I mean, seek first His yoke. Seek first His lordship and His godliness, His way of living. Seek Him first, first things first. And all these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Come meet me in this day, in this moment, and God will take care of us. That's how we got to that, live in that kind of frantic, crazy life. We got there because we didn't believe that God knows our needs, that God is in this with us, that he'll take care of whatever it is that we're facing. So what does this life look like, this calm, this peace, this rest? What does it look like? I am positive it looks like this. There is, a, there is a, and I think it looks like whatever that looks like in your conception of when your heart is found in its fulfillment in the things that God has provided. I, I, it's a little crass to talk about it this way, but I think it's kind of like Vacation. It's kind of like vacation for me. And when Lynn and I go on vacation, we try to go on vacation places, and it's hard to find these days, where like you can't be connected, where your cell phone doesn't work, all that kind of stuff. Because we don't like our children. But so we just we try to completely detach. So there's that sense of going, I can't fix, do anything, help. I, I just I'm gonna let God do his thing. See that idea of taking yourself out of the equation and letting God do his thing, the Jewish People called it a Sabbath. See, this, what kind of life this is, what does it look like? It looks like Sabbath, friends. It looks like a ceasing from our work. The Hebrews 4 talks about this, referring to Jesus and what he brings. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And this is a one-time only word, Sabbath rest in the New Testament. All these other places it says, Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest and that means what we think it means, rest. And this is, says, and he's going to bring, it's not just rest. It's not just rest. It's piling on, Jesus says. I'm going to bring a Sabbath rest, one where we have released all of our striving and we believe that God is at work, calm, peace, and rest. That's what Sabbath is, a releasing of all of our work and believing that God is doing his thing. That's what Jewish people did. That's why the law was there. It's a significant thing. It's one of the 10 commandments that you honor the Sabbath, that you take a day when you can say and reflect, okay, you, God, have done the work. You, God, are my Lord. You, God, have the power to do everything that needs to be done. I am really not in control of American Airlines maintenance workers at all. Like I'm going to acknowledge it and I'm going to release it and I will rest in you. That's what Sabbath was for. And they would do it one day a week. And the Ten Commandments say, we should be honoring that and doing that. That's a significant thing for us. I just loved the Jewish concept of that. And I love the, the Jewish concept. It's, it's actually embedded in er, the, the, um, um, the symbolism of every single day in Jewish thought. You remember that a day in Jewish thought begins when? you know? Sunset. Because it's night, why? Because your work has to stop. You can't sow the seed, you can't till the soil, you can't reap the harvest, you can't fix anything, you can't build anything, you can't do anything more. The day starts when you stop. And then more, you sleep. In the ancient world, they just went to bed when it was dark. We could use 12 hours of sleep, that'd be awesome. They just went to bed. And so here's the idea. The day is half over and you are totally at rest. And in the morning when you wake up, it's like God is saying, I've been at work all night. Come join me in what I've already been doing. And that's our lives, to come and join God with what he's already been doing. And we've already started in rest. And so what this life looks like is that it's a Sabbath rest. And it looks like this, not only just this Sabbath resting where we're not working, but there's also this idea in Philippians chapter 4, there's a verse, just look at this, we don't have time, I want you to study it more in depth. But in Philippians 4, these are sort of the outcomes of that kind of a calm and peaceful and rested and anchored life. Rejoice in the Lord so there's joy. Let your gentleness be evident to all because, why gentleness? Because we're not striving, because we're not making our way, we're not manipulating people, we're not controlling the circumstances. These are people we love being around. People that are full of joy and people that are gentle. Remember Jesus said, learn from me, I'm gentle and humble at heart. Don't be anxious about anything, but what? But prayer like in with thanksgiving present your request to God this text goes on to say so there's this non-anxious prayerful thankful releasing it to God and then it goes on to say the text goes on to say and then the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds the peace and the calm and the rest that's what this life looks like it's sabbath it's joy It's gentleness. It's prayerfulness. And it's the Lord giving us peace that blows our minds. It surpasses understanding. So how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we live that life? Where does it come from? Well, that text in Hebrews says, yep, there's a Sabbath rest that's available for the people of God. And then it goes on to say, so then let's make every effort to enter into it. How we get there is a pursuit. It's an effort. There's some things that we can do to enter in To that rest. And just to give you those couple of things in two minutes, I want to go back to the Matthew text and go, how do we enter in? What's that Matthew text teach us about entering in? First, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. That's not where we go when we have problems. There are a few of you that are prayer warriors and you're super spiritual and awesome. And you're like, oh, here's a hindrance. Here's a problem. Here's a worry. Here's an obstacle. I'm going to come to Jesus. The rest of us start getting busy to fix it, right? Now we, we come to Jesus because he says, that's where rest is found. You come to me. And in fact, that text says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And then it says, I will give you rest. The actual meaning, it's a little awkward in the English, the meaning is this, come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will rest you. I'll rest you. It's a verb. I will rest you. If we come to Jesus, he will rest us. That's the transformation we need. He'll come and he'll work on our hearts. He will hold us and he will do a spiritual transformation by his Holy Spirit that will bring us rest. You come to me, Jesus says, I'll rest you. You hear that, church? That's how we move toward it. That's how we move into this life we were called to. Second, he says, and take my yoke upon you. So we take his yoke. In other words, we take what he puts on us, not what other people put on us, not what the Joneses have been trying to keep, get us to keep up with, not what social media makes us feel, not what we think that we need to be comfortable, not what we should be doing with our time. Listen, friends, you won't hear this Uh, 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 anything other than this being preached in our church, you'll always hear this being preached in our church, that we are responsible to Jesus Christ as Lord. And so every dollar and every hour and every relationship comes under the Lordship, the yoke of Jesus. And our yeses come from him and nowhere else. And so we come to him, he'll rest us, And then we put his yoke on. Lord Jesus, what do you have for me? I want no less than that, but I want no more than that. And he goes, my yoke, it's easy. My burden's light. I'll give you life as it was designed to be. We come to Jesus, we take his yoke, and then we learn from him because he'll instruct us how to live. And fourth... We'll continue on that way. That idea where he says, I'll fi- you'll find rest for your souls. The idea there is right out of Jeremiah 6. You can go study it later. Jeremiah six sixteen, where the prophet is saying, you ask about the ancient ways. You ask about how people have been living this way. And then you walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus is alluding to the Old Testament from f- 600 years beforehand, where he goes, Watch how they've been doing it. It's my way. You'll find rest. So keep walking. We come to Jesus. We put his yoke on us. We learn from him. And then we keep walking. That's how we pursue godliness. That's how we receive a life that he's promising. So we're ending each one of these sermons with a a little spiritual uh, challenge, a little bit of a, a like, hey, what if we did this this week, you guys? What if we tried something this week? That's our gentle way of saying, let's do some practices that help us pursue, that help us move toward godliness, toward this kind of life. So related to this sermon, what if we tried this this week? What if this training exercise was that we would practice Sabbath? What if we practice Sabbath this week? I know this is a super kind of odd concept for a lot of us, and yet it really is important. The scriptures have it being really clear that it's something that when we do it, it puts us in touch with that idea that God is taking care that he brings rest. And so what if we did that? What if Here's the definition of a Sabbath. It's a one-day practice of rest and trust in God. It's taking one day and practicing through that day that I'm out, I'm resting. I'm not taking care of my life. God, you are and I'm going to trust you. It's a whole day of reminding ourselves that we trust him and that he brings life and he brings rest. So, What if you did it this way? Here's some ideas. Ready? You could start today. Today you could do because you've already been in church this morning. Like, you're three quarters of the way done. It's awesome. Or maybe it's next Saturday or maybe it's next Sunday as you prepare for it. But somewhere this week, get a day. If you're working Monday through Friday, it has to be today or Saturday or Sunday. Take the day, and this is what you can do. First, start the day early. Like Jesus did, by the way, with all Jesus' work, he got up early before Anybody was with him, and he went off to be with the Father. So you take a day, but you go off and be with Jesus and bring a notebook, because here's what happens. You go to that notebook, and you start by saying, God, I'm going to give you all that I'm carrying, all the frenetic and the hurried and the worried and the whole thing, like I'm giving it all to you, and just start writing it down. Just write it down, like this is the stuff I'm carrying. This is the stuff that's weary. This is the stuff that's burdensome. This is the stuff that's too hard. This is the stuff, God. And you, just, you write all that stuff down. Because that's what happens when you go to be with God, is all that stuff starts to happen. So everything on your plate, everything on your mind, you give that to the Lord. And maybe the super heavy stuff, but if you're like me, when I go to spend time with the Lord, I notice things like, those baseboards need to be repainted. (laughs) I write down, repaint the baseboards. It's like putting it on a to-do list, it's like it's done, you can let it go. It's like... You, everything that com- you just, you put it, so get up early and spend time with God and give Him everything you are carrying. Okay? And then you spend the day. You spend the day not at work. So don't do it where, you, where you're working. You're making your job. You're checking email. You're doing that. Take a day away from all that stuff. Most, 90, 99% of the people in here, you can find a day to do that on a win, but you can find a day to do that because your company is not going to collapse if you take one day and not check your email and all that stuff. If you've designed your life so that you can't take one day and your company's gonna collapse or your job's gonna get lost, you, you, uh, honestly, uh, that's not good for you. The Lord said, you gotta take a Sabbath day. But don't work, so spend the day not working, not doing maintenance on the house, not doing maintenance on the car. So because I'm working six days a week a lot these days, I have to take a Sabbath, and then the Sabbath I don't do any maintenance. My house is a mess. That's all I gotta tell you right now. I'm really behind but I'm trying to keep my soul in a a good place, right? So, So don't do that, and don't do bills, and don't do taxes. God forbid, do not do taxes. So what do you do then? You spend the day loving people, playing. In other words, finding out what's in your heart to do and doing it. Loving people, playing, counting your blessings, literally counting them, writing them down, talking about them. Text them to your friend, your kid, your spouse. Like, oh, I just thought of how awesome this was in our life. So you're playing, you're resting. I mean, you're, you're, um, you're loving people. You're counting your blessings. You're resting, you're napping. Go take a nap. And some of you, I can't take a nap because I got soccer and I got to take kids and all that. Yeah, yeah, but you can love your kids and you can go there and you can say, I'll be right up to the field and then you take a nap in the car. That's how you spend the day. And then also you do this. You tell God you trust him. The whole day you tell God you trust him. See, that's what a Sabbath is about. I'm out, God. You take care of my job. You take care of my provisions. You take care of the maintenance. You take care of the details. I'm out for this day. And all I want to do is practice loving, resting, playing, and telling you, you got this. I trust you. And so carry that prayer, okay? Here's a bonus. I'm going to teach you how to pray like that. Here's how you pray like that. It's a sentence, a statement, and a question, but it's the same words. It's not that hard. Ready? The statement is, you got this. That's your prayer. You got this, God. All day, you got this. All the stuff that comes up. All the stuff that's in the future. All the the people in your life, you got this. And if it has to be a question, it's the same thing. You got this? (laughs) You got this? I'm gonna rest in you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will rest you. I got it. If we lean into that, folks, we will have life as it was designed to be. And it will be unbelievable for us. Let's stand together. I hope you practice the Sabbath. Any of you think you might do that? I hope you do.